Hello and welcome to High Tea Obsessed. I am your host, Thomas Boomhauer. I have a pretty nice episode in store for you guys all today. Uh, a little bit different from some of the other episodes that we've had this season. More in line with maybe something like the Eddie Chapman episode. Because today I'm not talking about a specific heist, though some will definitely be brought up. Today I'm talking about an international gang of thieves, heisters, crooks, and criminals known as the Paint Panthers. So before we dive into the episode, a few things. First, little content reminder, um, and then some updates. So first, be sure to follow the page on Instagram at highkey underscore obsessed underscore podcast. Highkey obsessed, if you search it, it should come up. Because we're nearing the end of this season, you know, finale coming up. And we're, for that, I'm doing a heist crew draft using all people, all characters from movies. Uh, so Sean, JT, and I, we're going to be picking a location to steal from and then drafting a crew against one another to pull off the heist. However, you, the listener, will have no such limitations. I'm going to put out a little, like, graphic thing that you can screenshot on Instagram and then put it on your story, right? You know, I want Neil McCauley as the leader, this guy in this category, XYZ all the way down, and then tag me in it. We did a nice little game. We can have, like, maybe a vote about who would win. I'll share them all. It'll be fun. So that's only going to be on Instagram. So follow at highkey underscore obsessed underscore podcast on Instagram. Anyway, uh, so... This podcast is, you know, kind of taking a hiatus for a few weeks, and it wasn't initially planned to be as long. At first, I thought, I just need a week off, I'm a little burned out from this, Uh, but I started a new job in September, and we entered the busy period in January, and so I had to, like, cancel some episodes that then ended up not having to be canceled, and rescheduling, and then now, with the way my schedule is kind of constantly in flux certain days, I've had to cancel two schedule like interview type episodes or guest appearances so we are now down we're cutting two episodes three left and i'm very excited for those you know we got this one pain panther episode and then we have the town with sean which is just a banger episode i like listened to it like three times edited it sick and then the finale and then another little break and then i'm going to be putting out episodes probably on thursdays or fridays probably fridays and then after that little break, I'm going to be putting out episodes on Fridays until season four kicks off in July. So just like random episodes, sort of like the first two seasons. And maybe some guests will be on, just like random stuff, movies, whatever historical or cryptid topics I want to talk about in a given week. And more on that later. But so one last bit of housekeeping before we get into the main topic. Sorry about that. Sorry about all this. Um, season four was announced. You know, I announced that Alexander the Great. The hope is, the goal, the plan, 25 plus episodes all about Alexander the Great, uh, his campaigns, his life, a little bit about his what happened after he died, and then also episodes in the run-up, I guess, about his father, uh, some ancient Greek and Asian Persian history, and just kind of like a nice, well-rounded look at the lead-up to Alexander's life, his life, what he accomplished, and then the results of it. And then, so there's... 25 episodes, and then hopefully some scholars and stuff come on too. That's the goal. That's the plan. But now, enough of that. It is time to talk about the Pink Panthers. So as it turns out, the term Pink Panther 
Paint Panthers, you know, the Paint Panther, all that type of stuff. It has a lot of connotations. So depending on your age, or I guess like how plugged in you are on pop culture, social media, that type of thing, not so, pop culture, movies, that type of thing, uh, you might think of the movies featuring the bumbling Inspector Clouseau. Uh, for people my age, we probably think of the Steve Martin version, which is probably an affront to other people listening. Uh, I think as a kid, I saw Revenge of the Pink Panther from 1978, but that's about it. So I can't really comment on the original one. Sorry about that. Uh, in that same sort of vein, you might think that the Pink Panther is a diamond or an animated character. You might think of Zoe Jones, a former English professional darts player, nicknamed the Pink Panther, which is, I think that's pretty sick. That's pretty cool. Uh, you might also think of the American golfer Paula Creamer also nicknamed the Paint Panther, which is, that's pretty cool, but it's not as cool as a darts player named Paint, the Paint Panther. That's that's kind of sick. You might also think of the former professional boxer Jim Rock, who was also nicknamed the Paint Panther, which is, guys, that's a lot. That's a lot of people with the same nickname. Let's do a little bit better, but I'm not a nicknamer guy, so I don't know. If you've seen the show White Collar, you might also be thinking of the bad guys from the final season of that show, which is pretty close to hitting the mark, but Unfortunately, no cigar there. So basically, as you can see, there are a lot of possibilities to consider when someone mentions the Paint Panthers. In fact, the subject of today's episodes aren't even the only organization to bear the monitor. A number of LGBT rights organizations in North America since the 1970s have borne the name, including a militant gay rights collective based in Montreal. Anyway, I'm not talking about any of that today. None of those aforementioned Paint Panthers. I'm not even sure it was necessary to talk about them all. I just thought it was kind of interesting and, like, frankly, it blew my mind that there were so many Pink Panthers when I started, like, researching for this episode. And I didn't want to be the only one burdened by that knowledge. So, you're stuck with it now, too. But let's get into our Pink Panthers, that gang of international jewel thieves responsible for some of the most audacious heists all over the damn world. And that sounds awesome, right? We got globetrotting criminals stealing jewels from cities all over the damn place. That's really cool to talk about. Perfect fodder for a podcast like this. I do feel like maybe I've done a bit of a bad job here, glamorizing some of these crimes a little bit. You know, I'm calling them cool, giving the criminals credit for being smart, stuff like that. And on the one hand, you know, I kind of feel bad for that. On the other hand, I don't think any of the heists that I've covered have had, like, significant injuries, casualties. I think the only one were two injuries from the uh, train robbery. Um, I don't think any of the heists killed anybody, which is nice. But I do want to highlight, like, the victims of these heists exist, even if it's quote-unquote victimless crime, like, nobody was killed or anything like that. But there's real trauma and psychological harm going on in being involved in a crime like this. So while I may think that the way some of these crimes I'm about to talk about were brilliantly planned or cool, like, the or, like, just they sound cool and like they're from movies and stuff like that. And talking about heists is just fun. So, you know, I would like to say these people, by the by, reprehensible, and the acts themselves also reprehensible. Now, if we're talking about a robbery in like an empty museum, jewelry store, nobody sees anyone, no harm, no foul, kind of like the Banco Central Brazil heist, nobody even interacts with the robbers, basically. I'm back in. That's just awesome. But in general, final heist I'm out on, and by the by, Heists, while sometimes cool to talk about, not the best at anyway. 
Anyway, for all my grandstanding and hot dogging on the many uses of the Pink Panthers, it doesn't appear to be the name's chosen nom de guerre. The Pink Panthers are a gang of jewel thieves who have hit targets all over the world. The gang is believed to be composed mostly of Serbian, Montenegrin, and other citizens from the former Yugoslavian states, with various law enforcement agencies speculating that they are veterans of the Bosnian War who have put their military skills and experience to criminal use. Been a while since that war, you know, 27 years, so I would assume at this point they've probably extended beyond that, maybe brought in some family members, maybe brought in some trusted friends, maybe just general recruiting younger members of the community, stuff like that. But anyway, outside of that rank speculation on my part, as of 2019, Interpol believes that the Pink Panthers numbered anywhere from 200 to 800 tour participants uh, with an extended network of connections and smaller accomplices. Based on my reading, I would assume that the sources that I saw with 800, which I think was just one actually, so the source I saw with 800 listed was a more encompassing number that included all those smaller encompasses, and that the real number of like actual Panthers is closer to that 200 figure. The organization is known for daring heists, you know, police are always awed by the audacity and like how intricately planned these heists are. And they're also known for hitting targets all over the world. They also have a unique makeup compared to some other criminal organizations, with some investigators linking them more closely to a terrorist organization than a traditional organized crime syndicate. And that's not like based on their methods or anything, it's just strictly the structure of the organization itself. Because the Panthers are an elaborate network of thieves strewn across the globe, and they maintain cells, for lack of a better word, scattered throughout the world that can be activated to participate in a heist at a moment's notice. So, like, on a day-to-day basis, these guys might be, like, janitors, um, like, just general workers, like, blue-collar workers, typically. And then they'll get a call from the central masterminding group, is how I picture this. And they'll be like, hey, we have a job. Here are the details. Here's where you can get the resources. And here's how you're doing it. And then they'll carry it out. The Dane also claims not to harm those being robbed, but to only carry guns as a means of shock and awe which is similar to the methods we saw in the Stockholm Museum heist where they had like a submachine gun to rob a museum. They just want to like overawe people, make it so no one's going to resist, and then they don't have to hurt anybody. According to Interpol, the Pink Panthers are responsible for hundreds of thefts, which have resulted in around, and again, there's various estimates, uh, $500 million worth of jewels being stolen. And... I think we might be higher than that based on some of the numbers we're going to see in just a few of the heists going forward. So one of the cool things about researching this week for this episode is that there's just like all these crazy headlines involving the Panthers. And some of that is because the media and even the police themselves are like super eager to have the Pink Panthers involved. Like they're always a primary suspect in any sort of jewelry robbery, any sort of like heist in Europe specifically. So there's all these awesome headlines like Pink Panthers rob this museum, or not museum, Pink Panthers rob this jewelry store, Pink Panthers break out of prison, like XYZ, it's cool. And because they've committed so many crimes, uh, we're just going to take a look at some of the greatest hits, some of the ones that I thought were cool, some of the most ambitious stores of the 21st century that these guys have pulled off. Now here's a question for you guys. Will I put in some montage music in post? Only time will tell.
to be clear, this list is far from all-inclusive because this Dane is, like, as prolific as you can get. They are believed to have committed at least 380 armed robberies. Some have it as, like, 500. You know, we don't really know, obviously, because some are attributed. They're not really taking credit for a lot of these. It's just suspected. And also, like, any time an Eastern European dude's arrested for jewelry theft, they're, like, Pink Panthers. Uh, they are believed also, though, to have pulled off over 120 heists during just one six-year stretch in the mid-2000s. So it's, like... 380 between 1999 and 2015, but 120 of those came in six years. Uh, the first one on our list, first one, is the one that got it all started. By that, I do not mean that it was the Jane's first heist, but it's the one that got them their name and notoriety. So in 2003, the Pink Panthers targeted the New Bond Street branch of Graff, which is a famous uh, British jeweler based in London. It is known for having, and these are my words, uh, stupid expensive stuff, exquisitely colored diamonds, not my words, and high-profile clientele. That's mixed, my words, and the source. Like me reading between the lines, I guess. Uh, anyway, on May 19th, 2003, shout out my mom and Anthony, but not 2003. Anyway, uh, May 19th, 2003, a man around 5 foot 8, Described based on surveillance surveillance footage as having a small waist and the upper body of an acrobat, which good for him, you know, guys looking good. Uh, in his late twenties, he stopped outside the store and peered into the storefront. He spoke to no one, looked at the window display for five minutes, never entered the store, and then left. So you know, a little bit of window shopping for our guy, Predrad Vujovic. Jesus Christ, Predrad Vujovic, and again. I really struggle with pronouncing not just, like, non-American names or English words, but, like, pretty common things. I sometimes can't say burglary. burglary. Um, I have to say regularly, slow like that, or I can't say it. So I apologize for some of the butchering of names and places that are about to happen. But just know it's not, like, I'm making an effort not to do it. I just have issues. A little bit later in the day, Vujosevic would return, and with the help of an accomplice make off with $30 million worth of diamonds in around three minutes, which is just wow. At the time, it was the largest jewel heist in British history. So pre-drag, our guy Vujosevic Vujo, was joined by Nebosa Dennett, I think, N-E-B-O-J-S-A Dennett. That sounds like Nebosa. Nebosa Dennett, while Vujosevic rushed into drafts, Dennett was already inside, posing as a customer. Described by the New Yorker as, quote, a hulking Serb from Kosovo, Dennett was wearing a suit and rocking a preposterously bad fake wig, which did not alarm the staff. Apparently, because their clientele are of such high profile, uh, people often come in semi-disguised, so they thought he was like a rock star hiding from paparazzi, you know, doesn't want someone to know he's buying an engagement ring, something like that, a little something for the mistress maybe, who knows. Or they thought he might have just been a rich dude with a hair disease wearing a wig. Dennett asked to examine a 12-carat diamond ring priced at $450,000, which is just what the hell. But then he was like, too glamorous, uh, do you have a smaller one? Then he pulled out a 357 Magnum and yelled, everyone on the floor. Vujosevic had just entered the store at that point, started smashing several display cases with a hammer, pulled out a badge, stooped up 47 pieces of diamond jewelry, 
and both men ran out the door. A security guard in Graf pursued Dennett and tried to wrestle his gun away, and it went off, and a bullet ricocheted off an air conditioner and grazed the nose of a woman walking by, which is completely insane. Imagine, like, if she was, like, I don't know how big her nose is, but, like, an inch further along in her walk, she's probably dead. Crazy stuff. Both men were eventually captured, uh, Dennett immediately so because he was subdued by the security guard wrestling with him. Vujosevic was found later with a gun in his car while crossing borders and had nothing to say about any heist. He was like, I got nothing to do with that, I don't know what you're talking about. Another accomplice was found, a Montenegrin Fitzer by the name of Milan Jovetic. Jovetic? Milan Jovetic? I don't know. Uh, in his home, the police found one of the stolen pieces, a diamond valued about $750,000 inside a jar of face cream. Now, the diamond was blue, not pink, but because it was hidden in face cream, which I guess happens in one of the Pink Panther movies, the press ran with it and dubbed the criminals the Pink Panthers, and the name has stuck ever since. In the years since 2003, heists believed to be linked to the Panthers have continued to occur, with some stretching as far as the late 80s or early 90s, potentially. Though this is obviously disputed. There's like, some people say like 89-ish is when they started cropping up. Some say it was the 90s. And they have petered off in recent years, but there have been some heists linked to them. They do go through some periods with seemingly, you know, very few of any potential heists being pulled off. And some years where they're particularly just like going crazy. Um, Like the mid-2000s, where it seems like, they're cranking out heists left and right. Our next heist is from 2004, when the Panthers targeted jewelry shops in Japan as part of a spate of heists suspected to be connected to the game. Tokyo's La Supra Diamond Coter de Metti boutique was robbed. Um, around $30 million of jewels were taken again, with the majority of it from the Comtesse de Vendôme. So this is one necklace that was stolen, the Comtesse de Vendôme. Vendôme? Uh, which apparently is a famous necklace made of a bunch of diamonds that still haven't been recovered. So the necklace, according to some sources, is valued at over $30 million by itself. So that would make the overall value of the heist go up a bit. Uh, There's a bunch of variation about how much this heist was valued. Some places have the necklace at like $25 million. Some have it over $35 million for the whole heist. It's I didn't really know what to make of it, so I went with $30. Um, and the store has... Based on this, the wording of the sources, been forced to close since this robbery due to financial difficulties. Our next heist, which is really two heists, are thefts involving the Harry Winston store in Paris. Described as nearly unsolvable by Vanity Fair and a stunning coup by investigators, these two are pretty cool. In the first, which occurred in the early morning hours of October 6, 2007, Four thieves, who were already inexplicably inside the building when it opened, grabbed several employees as they, entered, as they entered the store one by one. Eventually, the employees were all tied up, and a guard was hit on the head, which is the only piece of violence, I believe, in this, in this spate of heist I talked about. And this wasn't enough to seriously injure him. You know, he was knocked about the head. It wasn't like the train robbery one where the guy was nearly unconscious. But the guy was hit on the head. Tough. They then took one employee to the safe where she entered her code. The thieves started filling a bag with at least 480 rare jewels, including one emerald necklace that cost at least $3 million. These thieves were really good at covering tracks. Uh, they hid, they used fire extinguishers all over the stairs to erase traces of the DNA because they spent the night there. 
Uh, there are no fingerprints or DNA left behind. And the only names the employees remembered hearing were Farid and Voldemort. The thieves were wearing utility worker coveralls, and they escaped in a rented Puget minivan. And in this case, like almost all the others, most of the uh, most of the Tate was never recovered. So this case, in this case, they made out with thirty million dollars in jewels. Most of that has never been recovered. Then, a little over a year later, police are still desperately trying to find any clues on the first robbery. The Harry Winston was hit again, which is just like tough fucking look for the Harry Winston Paris. Like, what are we doing? More on this later, though. I got some takes. At 5.20 p.m. on Thursday, December 4th, a group of four tall men, three of them dressed like women, wheeled a suitcase up to Harry's front door. The security guard took a quick look, noticed that they had, stilt, uh, they had silk scarves, long blonde hair, high heels, and stockings, buzzed them in. Very tough look for our guy. Now, some local shoppers were a little bit more on the ball, with customers at the Louis Vuitton store across the street informing security in that store that men in drag had just entered the Harry Winston. Another witness, a Cartier salesperson, immediately paid them as burglars, given their heights and builds, as well as their outlandish outfits. Uh, still, she shrugged off and they were, after they were admitted into the building. So she was like, no big deal, but kind of weird. A hostess in the jewelry store greeted the four men and guided them up the main staircase. Halfway up the stairs, they pulled out their weapons, which included a hand grenade, and one of them yelled, nobody move or I smote you all. And he was waving around a 357 Magnum. They stormed into the manager's office, ordered everyone to lie on the ground face down. Several captives were marshaled to help deactivate alarms and open display cases. And during this whole heist, they called out employees by their names, even stating home addresses, which was obviously designed to stare them into cooperating. So they're like, we know where you live, we know your family, all that sort of thing. In 20 minutes, a little long for these guys, uh, 20 minutes, they made off with an estimated, and again, figures vary, $73.5 million on the low end and $100 million in jewelry, which is a truly stunning figure, either way, I think. And it's 20 minutes, you know, it's not that long. Uh, and at this time, this was the costliest heist in French history. And between the two heists, that's like $100 million to $130 million. Crazy. This time, uh, witnesses were able to note the Slavic accents of the men. And that gave the police a little bit more to work with. And eventually, some of the perpetrators of these heists were brought to justice. Some of the jewels were recovered, but the overwhelming majority was not. And the alleged ringleader also remains in the wind. Also in 2008, a jewelry store in Dubai, another Graf Jewelers, was robbed. Uh, this time, it's kind of hard to blame them because the Panthers rammed Audis through the store's window, like crashed cars through the store windows, and then made off with $10 million in jewels. So another example of like them just being active and audacious in their schemes. And I could keep doing this all day. You know, we could be here, I mean, 380 heists, we could be here a really long time talking about these heists. And I did into, like, way more details than I'm doing now. But I don't want to do that. You guys don't want that to happen. So I'm going to talk about just a few more. And then I want to get into some of the implications or interesting takeaways based on these cases. In 2009, the Panthers hit the same craft branch on New Bond Street as they did in 2003 in the heist which gave them their name and infamy. 
This time, they went about it in a completely different way. On August 6, 2009, at 4.40 p.m., two well-dressed men arrived at the Graf Diamonds jewelry store by Tatsy. And once inside, they used two handguns to threaten staff. This time, you know, no attempts to conceal their face, no wades, anything like that. And that's because they had already spent hours in makeup from like a professional makeup artist who did not know that they were robbing banks or robbers. Uh, so they had like, they were completely unrecognizable. They had like a fake face on, uh, on top of their real face, basically. Even though one of the robbers was wearing leather gloves, store security allowed them to enter because they're used to eccentric behavior of some super wealthy clients. Also, from reading all these, a thing that crops up is that these fancy jewelry stores, the clientele doesn't like overt security. It makes them nervous. So they're, like, at least at this time, they were pretty easy targets. A shop assistant was forced to open display cases, and the robbers made off with just another, like, a ton of jewels in the form of various necklaces, bracelets, rings, ETC. The actual value of pieces for insurance purposes was put at 300, or was put at 39 million, but there wasn't like, they couldn't really determine it, but 39 million is what I'm going with. And the Flying Squad, our boys from the train robbery episode, you may or may not remember, uh, were brought in to investigate. Flying Squad, much different from a deception, now it's like an elite anti-theft task force, and they're just going off. Despite the robbers' best efforts, which included hours of professional makeup, like I said, they were caught relatively quickly, and by October, uh, 10 suspects were arrested and charged, which is sort of a robbery in these Panther heists. Usually, like, at most, one suspect will get caught, and then maybe someone else will be found for, like, unrelated things and linked to it, stuff like that. But, you know, this one, a lot of suspects arrested brought in, but none of the jewelry has been recovered. Kind of give one, take one. Our final heist is another big one, and this one's, like, fucking crazy. And this one takes place in 2013, in the 2013 Carlton Cons heist, as it has come to be known, is one of the largest heists in terms of pure monetary value ever committed, and it is just like probably the easiest, simplest heist we've covered on this show. A lone robber wearing gloves, a cap, and a scarf to mask his face made off with a haul after strolling into the luxury Carlton Hotel in the French Riviera town of Cannes, Cannes on Saturday, July 28, 2013. In less than one minute, he made off what would eventually be revealed to be $136 million worth of jewelry. He was professional and very rapid. Philippe Vic, a deputy prosecutor for the region, uh, told the New York Times a day later. Because the exhibit of this like jewelry con type thing had not opened, there was no hotel guests or customers milling about. So he just like arrived at the perfect moment, just before the high-profile jewels were about to be loaded into secure display cases. There was a small group of guards in the room. Obviously, we got some security at this event. Uh, there were two vendors, a show manager, and then the three private security guards. But... But they were unarmed, and this guy just brandishing a gun was enough to hold them all off. This was obviously attributed to the Paint Panthers, because one of the members had escaped from prison just days before the heist. And eventually a $1.3 million reward was offered for any information that could lead to the recovery of the items. But the crime was never solved. And it's just, that was the largest heist in French history, one of the largest in the entire world. 
And it was just like incredibly easy. One dude walked into a room and in less than a minute made off with $136 million in jewelry. Not bad work if you did it. You know what I mean? So, a nice little entree into some observations here. And a lot of these cases merely attributed to the Pink Panthers. And there's a lot of romanticism about them in the press. And even, and maybe actually, not just even, but especially in law enforcement, who seem pretty quick to assume they're behind any sort of heist in Europe. Um, they don't leave Colin cards, as far as I could tell. And they don't really seem to claim responsibility for these heists. So it seems that a lot of the time, connecting he- like heists to them is just a matter of finding out the suspects or culprits were Eastern European, or just being like, this was a pretty ballsy jewel heist, Pink Panthers are probably involved. One case of this is when Kim Kardashian was robbed in 2016 in Paris, and the Pink Panthers were suspected. Despite it not really fitting their MO, which is, you know, obviously elaborately planned, but simply executed robberies, and, like, usually, as I think you can tell from this, they usually enter a thing, smash a bunch of stuff, steal jewelry, and then leave, hence the name of their 2013 documentary about them, Smash and Grab. And now it appears that the Kim Kardashian theft was a bunch of old dudes, which I guess would kind of fit because the if they were fighting in the Bosnian War, they would be old at this point. Anyway, but the Paris, like they dubbed them like the grandpa uh, thefts now. Anyway, that's just me half remembering an article. Moving on, I guess my main question would be: How many of these cases attributed to the Pink Panthers actually are carried out by them? And how many are just law enforcement attributing them to the Pink Panthers? Because either it makes it seem cooler or more glamorous, especially if you ultimately solve it and recover some of these jewels. And then if you can't actually recover or like you can't make any headway in this, well, it's not really your fault. You know, they fool cops all over the entire world and they're like professional, professional about this. And if you're a jewel thief, right? Wouldn't you want it to be attributed to the shadowy organization? And especially if you weren't a member, like... Wouldn't you use a fake Eastern European accent when you rob something to try to throw them off? It seems like jewelers, at least in the early 2000s, which seems to be the heyday of the Panthers before age, advancing security, and advancing law enforcement techniques, whether it be like surveillance footage, improving DNA, improve, uh, like DNA forensic improvements, I guess, uh, caught up to them. But it seems like back then, jeweler, jewelers relied on jewels being difficult to move for security, sort of like museums. So they would, like, have, like, a little laser engraving, and then they'd be like, okay, here's what this diamond looks like, and here's the diamond origin certificate. But the Panthers are able to do this because they forge certificates for the jewels, which seems pretty common sense, pretty straightforward, and then they also alter them to make it, to make them, like, untraceable. So people are able to buy these diamonds because they, uh, so people are able to buy these diamonds, not, like, the paintings where you can't buy them and then never display them. So they can buy the diamonds for, to put on their wife, their girlfriend, themselves, whatever. So, you know, not bad work. Pretty smart plan. Pretty smart planning by the Panthers, if you ask me. But that's pretty much it this week, you know. A little bit of shallow dive, I guess, into some of the Panthers' heists. A little bit about the Panthers themselves. Some theories some speculation about poor police tactics on my part. Just a reminder, again, we only have two episodes left this season after this one, uh, because things have gotten weird with work and all that, like I touched on in the opening. So be on the lookout for those, which will be next Tuesday and the Tuesday after. And also be on the lookout for the Instagram to play along with the best movie heist crew game. After that, periodic sporadic episodes on Fridays until the outside of the great season. 
I may have some sort of a schedule for that, like mid-season tune-up episode thing as I'm envisioning it, but we'll see. Until next time, be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at highkey underscore obsessed underscore podcast and on Twitter at highkeyopodcast. And be sure to drop those five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice. Drop those ratings, all that good stuff, all that good cheese. And until next time, I'll see you in Florida, kid.